Welcome back to History To Go, the Fort Bend History Association's brand new podcast. Each month this year, we're excited to bring you stories, interesting tidbits, and fun facts about our shared past. I'm Jennifer Farrell, and today we're going to learn about Texas colonization with George Ranch Historical Park staff member J.R. Thomas. J.R. works as a living history interpreter at the George Ranch Historical Park in Richmond. As the site lead for the 1830s Jones Stock Farm, he portrays life as Henry Jones, one of Stephen F. Austin's original 300 colonists. His favorite aspect about working on the ranch is bringing pioneer history to life for thousands of school children and visitors throughout the year. So without further ado, here's J.R. Well, thank you very much, Jennifer. Thank you very much for having me. And well, today we're going to talk about the colonization of Texas. More specifically, we're going to talk about with Stephen Austin bringing these 300 families. Now let's backtrack a little bit. We're going to go back to 1820 when the United States passed the Land Act of 1820, which stated, okay, this is law now, the smallest amount of land you could buy is 80 acres and the lowest price you could pay for it is $1.25. So you needed $100 in cash to buy land. And I try really hard to make history understandable. Imagine if you want to buy land anywhere east of Texas in 2020, you needed $50,000 in cash. Now, there's no checks, no loans, no financing, can't put it on your debit card, no PayPal. You have to have $50,000 in cash. How many people do you know have $50,000 in cash? Think about it. But with Mr. Stephen Austin, he was allowed to bring these 300 families here for free land. You tell them, you're going to bring up, you're going to come over here and Mr. Austin wants to know, are you going to be a farmer or a rancher? Now, if you tell them you're going to be a farmer, that will give you 177 acres of the best farmland you could ever find. Pick out a spot. And that may be hard to understand, but that's more land than, think your local shopping mall. That's more land than eight of those shopping malls with the parking lot stacked side by side. All of that land belongs to you. But if you tell Mr. Austin you're going to raise livestock for a living, being what they call a stock farmer, then you get 4,428 acres of land, seven square miles of Texas, and will belong to you. That may be hard to understand, but that's more land than... Think of like your major sports stadium, like here around this area is Reliance Stadium. That's more land than, let's just say, seven of those of Reliance Stadiums with the parking lot stacked side by side. All that land belongs to you. Everybody's going to want 4,428 4, acres of land. But the land is free, but you have to pay for the surveying fee. And Mr. Austin set this up. So that you, for the first time in your entire life, can have a clear, legitimate, written, legal title to your land. Good deal. But it's 12 and a half cents per acre. It's one-tenth the price that it is in the United States. So let's backtrack. You remember I said 80 acres in the United States, 2020, $50,000? What if you can get 80 acres in Texas? Okay. It's one-tenth the price. So now that 80 acres is now $5,000. Would you be interested? So... It, the land is one-tenth the price, but there's not enough money in all of Texas to fill a coffee pot. So Mr. Austin takes cattle, and there are over 25,000 wild longhorn cattle roaming around Fort Bend County alone. And a longhorn cow and calf will pay for 100 acres of land. So you need 45 pairs to pay off the surveying fee, basically free. Now, we'll tell you, folks... Within the first two years, you have to build a house. Now, it may be a four, four walls, a door, and a roof, but you need some kind of permanent structure. That establishes your claim. You have to improve the land. Got to build a house. Got to get some crops. 
Now, of those 300 families, there were only seven families who did not fulfill the contract, and their land was forfeit. Get walking, Louisiana's to the east. Now, most of these families settled along the Brazos and the Colorado and the San Bernard River because you got to think the rivers are the transportation. You've got bales of cotton, you've got cowhides, you've got all these goods. If you want to take it by wagon? No, just take it down. Now, everybody's land grants along the rivers, it was like a rectangle. The short side of the, this long rectangle was right there along the riverside. And then it extended out from the Brazos River bottom, the Colorado River, extended from the river bottoms all the way out into the prairie. So beside the rivers, that's where you planted your cotton, your corn. And then out in the prairies, that's where you ran your livestock. Now, you got to think, all these families, how on earth are you going to make money? You have all this land. You have all this opportunity. What on earth are you going to do? And everybody says cattle drives. Well, the Longhorn beef is actually very, very, very lean, very, very lean. And so you have to set them aside. You got to fatten them up. Okay. But most of the time you're making your money off of the products, the hides, the horns, the hooves, the rendered fat. That's where you make your money and cotton. Now you try to plant cotton around here, say mid February, mid March, and you may be picking cotton as early as August, definitely into September. But in 2020, the farmers have to have their cotton out of the ground and destroyed by the end of October. And cotton will actually last all the way to the first freeze. Now, in this part of Texas down here by the George Ranch, first freeze happens, what, maybe December on into January. And you're constantly picking cotton, constantly. From the moment it starts sprouting, just get out there and get picking. The more cotton you pick, the more money you make, the better life you get to lead. So picking cotton from August all the way to maybe to say to January. And all a lot of these a lot of these products that were produced here in Texas, well, they weren't sold to the United States. England is the number one importer of products coming out of Texas. So raw goods head out. Manufactured goods come back. So you've got things like cloth coming from the mills over in Manchester, knives coming from Sheffield, all kinds of things. But let's backtrack a little bit. With Mr. Austin, he sent his first colonist on a sailing ship, and it took him a four-week trip to get from New Orleans to Galveston. There, they met a little lady with a daughter. Her name was Jane Long. Mr. James Long, her husband, was in prison in Mexico, and the colonists who were on that ship offered up to Miss Long, hey, we'll take you with us. And she politely declined because she was waiting for her husband to return from the jail in Mexico City. They left her there. Then they landed at the mouth of the Brazos River. Fifteen, there were 20 of the colonists. Fifteen of those got off right there at the Brazos River because they'd been on that boat through a storm for four weeks. They were ready to get off. And they landed, and it took them took them days to go up the Brazos River till they found a big bend of the Brazos River. And they called that, well, they, they built this fort there, and they called it the Old Fort, and then they just called it Fort Bend. Well, that was the first place of Anglo colonization here in Austin's colony. Coincidentally, where Fort Settlement, Fort Bend, is 
is located is right where the Fort Bend County Sheriff's Office. If you like to see, just go take a trip and go see where Fort Settlement was. So you have all these families going up and down from the mouth of the Brazos River, going east all the way to Galveston Bay, going west and southwest all the way to Matagorda Bay, going northwest all the way to Bastrop, even as far north as College Station. It is a huge, huge land grant. Now, Mr. Stephen Austin, well, he is the government of Mexico for these colonists, both civil and military. But he spent most of his time traveling around, handling the problems of the colonists. Matter of fact, one family got in trouble with the Mexican government because they planted tobacco. And it's actually illegal to grow tobacco in Mexico. They got arrested. Well, Mr. Austin sent a letter to the Mexican government saying, no, these folks weren't planting tobacco for their own use. They're planting it because I wanted to know if it would work in this part of Texas, this part of Mexico. Well, they got out of jail. Good job, Mr. Austin. Over to food. Over to food. So the mainstay of the diet in for these 300 families, the main, mainstay of the diet is corn. Corn in all its forms. You're eating cornbread every single day. Can't grow wheat. Wheat is very, very expensive because you can't grow it in this part of Texas. Unfortunately, this part of Texas, it gets what's called a rust on it, and it dies. If you want wheat flour, you have to send off to New Orleans and have it shipped in at $1 a pound. Now, that may not sound like a money, but a lot of money, but imagine in 2020 paying $25 for a pound of flour. Very expensive. So you're also going to eat a lot of pork. You know, thank you once again to the Spanish conquistadors who came to Texas. They brought the first cattle, horses, pigs, and there are plenty of these wild pigs. Come to the George Ranch, visit the 1830 stock farm, and see what the first pioneer pigs looked like. Now, you can go out there and hunt them, okay? But try to work smarter, not harder. So the, the teenagers, the boys, it's a popular game to go out there kidnap and hijack and get little piglets and you take the boy pigs and turn them into it pigs because now they're it pigs they will well they'll bulk up after a year they get very very large and very fatty we like our fat especially on our bacon but then also after two years well they'll be really really huge perfect for processing perfect for making ham and bacon and all those different kinds of things but just how you have branding for your cattle well, they have a system of earmarking, and that's where you get the piglet and you make cuts into your ear, into their ears, making sure that with this pattern, everybody knows that that's your pig. Well, now, rest on the way on the diet, you do have beans, you might have peas, you got potatoes, but the hardest part about the diet is basically no fruits. We get the wild berries and the grapes over here in the spring. Uh, you can harvest your cantaloupe and your melons over there in July, but beyond that, well, that's pretty much it until spring. So then when the apples and oranges start coming in, I think that's a, that's a late fall crop. You can send off to New Orleans and have shipped in barrels of apples and oranges and just to make it a much, much more pleasant, pleasant, uh, fall. We hope you've learned something new about Texas and Fort Bend County history today. Join us next time to learn about the beginning of the Texas Revolution with Allison Harrell. 
In the meantime, be sure to like the Fort Bend History Association on Facebook to stay up to date with this podcast and other ways you can connect with Fort Bend County and Texas history. Also, if you want to experience Texas history in person, get tickets to visit the George Ranch Historical Park at georgeranch.org.